That's how it starts. The fever, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness that turns good men cruel. Welcome. I'm Andrew Dice. And I am Stephen Colbert. And this is Batman v Superman by the Minute. Making it our mission to watch, analyze, discuss, and appreciate Zack Snyder's Dawn of Justice one single minute at a time. We have reached the landmark minute, 48. I guess at this point, all of these moments feel, they feel significant until I realize how many minutes are in the whole movie. Yeah, it's so, it's so weird. Uh, that's, I think probably my favorite part about doing this is realizing every minute I'm like, so much cool stuff happens in this minute. And Despite a lot of this one being mundane, it's also like one of the biggest moments like in cinema history at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess maybe that's a weird way to put it to like biggest moments in cinema history. But like, yeah, the, these guys haven't been on screen before mm-hmm. and now they are. So it's, you know, that's a milestone. We've been invited to a fancy party when last we left Bruce Wayne was pulling up in his fantastic car calls of Bruce, Bruce over here, Bruce. A quick one. And now we are seeing that Bruce Wayne's arrival at the party has been noticed by another. The word philanthropist comes from the Greek, meaning a lover of humanity. Uh, it was coined about 2,500 years ago. All right, where am I going, Alfred? We're past the elevator. Do left. That's right, it must be. This is the service corridor in the basement. Go down the stairs. As you kind of alluded to there, this I don't think this minute is... This minute is very much, uh, I think we, we've kind of talked about how the kind of act breaks or one book ending, another book starting. I feel like this is very much setting, setting the tone for like the working part of the movie where the characters meet. Like we've seen how Superman's tone is with Lois and how Bruce slash Batman's tone is with his stuff. Now they're kind of coming together and it's like, I guess this is the closest that we're going to get to a status quo, like midpoint for the movie in terms yeah. of tone. Well, you know how I I keep on raving about these kind of modules that the movie goes through. Of course. Where they've, they've, they've got like this, the, the setup in, in Africa, and then they've got the Clark, and then they've got the Bruce, and they've got the Lex. And so this is, I, I'd say probably the biggest collision of all of those plots that we've been establishing independently up to this point. Um, if it's not, you know, very flashy in and of itself, it is momentous, at least in that sense, where all of a sudden, all of the individual plots we've been watching and a new one that we haven't watched yet all manifest in the same scene. Mm-hmm. We are introduced to this, I guess, high society as the let the meat cake beat by the reporter yes. that is with Clark. Clark does not know who Bruce Wayne is, which is putting, I guess, into perspective the last 18 months, um, even more yeah. that, that while he's become a reporter, you know, has to be generally knowledgeable about Metropolis, Bruce Wayne is nobody to him. Yeah, or he—I mean—he knows the name, but doesn't know what he what he looks like. I feel like that's a little—it's a little weird, kind of like someone not knowing what like Mark Zuckerberg looks like. Yeah, I mean, I guess it—it it, it speaks to like you know how much of a recluse Bruce is that you'd know his name and you'd know the company, but seeing the guy in the flesh is something different. True. Well, I guess if you look at the way that Bruce and Alfred have been talking about this stuff, this may be the first time Bruce Wayne has been out. Yeah. Anytime recently. Good thing he got invited to this party. Um, on that note, I will point out that behind Clark and the uh, the other reporter, this is the first time I've noticed Mercy 
with her eyes locked on Bruce's arrival as well. Yeah, she's kind of just like lurking in the background of every scene in this. If you if you kind of watch, her eyes are just always darting. Yeah, uh, she knows that the plan is going perfectly. Bruce has come to the party. We move into the party, and I think that the only thing that happens in this minute, in terms of the, I'll say the first half at least, we cut into Lex Luthor being welcomed. Yes, to his own party as a bibliophile, a friend to the library of Metropolis. Uh, I'll give a shout out to. The character of Nikki LeBlanc, played by Nicole Forrester. Uh, this movie is filled with faces that I can never forget now because of this movie. <laughs> and she is one of them palling it up a little bit with, with Lex Luthor. He calls her Nikki. <laughs> I guess we know more about Lex in terms – in like in private than, than what a lot of people at this party do. We see that Clark is, I guess, playing the reporter, you know, reporting on this weird fundraiser that this eccentric billionaire is throwing. It's revealed that Bruce is in the party watching this when we get his reaction shot to the reveal of this lovely woman who we don't know who she is, dressed in red with gold. Yeah. And the, and the moment that Bruce locks eyes with her, we get the first uh, electric cello strings of what will become like one of the most iconic superhero themes probably. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, like when it comes to like a solo superhero theme, it's pro- – oh, I hate to say it. Um, it's right, probably right behind the, uh, Williams Superman and then, um, the only Batman theme. Yeah. I I can't say it. So, but yeah, (laughs) we don't, (laughs) there's only one Batman theme. I don't know why I would need to say it. Yeah, I know. Totally. And now Wonder Um, Woman has one too. Exactly. Well, and and I'd I'd put, um, I'd, I'd obviously put, uh, Zimmer's Man of Steel up there as well. But, but yeah, I mean, this is rightfully joining the Trinity. I don't, I don't, I think that the, the minute ends with Bruce basically bailing on this speech immediately to go about what he's actually there to do. So Yeah, I found it funny how he doesn't even try to no. like mingle or anything. He's like, okay, Ralph, but I'm at the party. Are you happy? Now I'm going to go find this thing. I counted to 50. Yeah. Now I get to go, and then we get our... It's like me um, at every party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get, um, I guess... Uh, the, the one thing I will call out in this minute is how instantly the black and white uh, like motif... Because it's – in my mind, the part I always remember is the, the red carpet outside. And then when you come into this place, everything is either black and white. Like there – it is – I know it's a black tie event and everything, but Nikki's coat is this like weird, you know, like psychological camouflage of, of black and white. And I don't think it is – it is an explicit callback to the kind of chessboard that we were talking about earlier, but it does really it, – it fits. That, yeah. that this is going to be the backdrop for these characters to meet. And the fact that one of the only real splashes of color is Diana, who we know is Diana, um, dressed in her signature red and gold. Well, and that's that's a, one of the many questions that I've always had about this movie is, obviously, if most people going into this movie knew who that was because of marketing, it's one of those things where I always kind of wonder, like, I wish there was a way I could have experienced this without knowing who she was. She comes out of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. And just had that be like a, a surprise that she was even in this movie. There's something cool about knowing who it is here. Like, it's like there's a, so it's not like there's a, it's totally spoiled or anything, but just the idea of having that truly be mysterious up until, um, up until her proper reveal would be, yeah. um, would be cool. Like how this movie will be seen years and decades from now. Yeah. When people will be watching it and it'll be like, you know, the kid will be like, 
who is who is she? And then all of us will be sitting there going, oh, yeah. <laughs> and and to to his credit, Bruce is I think shown to be. I think the the like tantalizing string of her theme, like we are hearing that through Bruce, you know, like he recognizes her as something much more than a pretty woman, as he yeah. claims later, you know, he. Well, he's the type of guy that he can see someone's, you know, he's probably, he knows people's posture and gait and, and yeah. like, he knows, he's like the Jason Bourne of like, he knows which person in the room he's going to have to have the hardest time fighting. <laughs> yeah. You mean, you mean triple X? <laughs> he he definitely has a moment, and I think that it, it is just a moment that it sells that Bruce is now just thinking, you know, who is this woman? Yeah. The one thing I, w- I will call out that I found was is cool on repeat viewings is that in that shot of Lex walking past Clark, now it's like a mental game of looking to see if I can spot where Diana is because mm-hmm. she is in the crowd like behind them. Anytime I see that shot where it would be completely plausible for her to not be there for this shot, I love the fact that that Gal Gadot is standing almost imperceptible, but in this scene for all of these takes. Yeah. That just adds a – like you said, it's it's a bit of history where these characters are kind of occupying the same space where at this point in the story, none of them even know that they're doing it. Yeah. Well, and it's so – the fact that they made such a subdued – like, yes, they were all on screen at the same time. I don't know. I feel like it's, it's people would kind of want or expect that to be something way more tongue in cheek or, oh, or totally. momentous in some way. And, and Snyder like slow pitches it so much that it, um, I don't know. I think it creates like an extra, there's like a lot of sort of intrigue here of like what they, they're all looking for different things, mm-hmm. but ultimately the same thing. Yeah. And then the, all three are technically in disguise. Yeah. But but that means three very different things to each of these characters right now. Yeah. Um, especially based on what we know, <laughs> where the one who is arguably least in disguise is a complete stranger to us. Yeah. Uh, which is a, a neat trick. And then the the minute ends with, with Bruce beginning his actual mission where he came for to plant a leech in Lex Luthor's house. Again, we're probably going to have to do like a special episode where we just revisit all of the times we said this is our favorite moment. But <laughs> – in the first viewing and every single time I see it, the way that Henry Cavill sells hearing the radio transmission between Bruce and Alfred. Yeah. In this context, like what in the world is even happening? Well, you can and- almost hear like the squelch in his ear and the way that he twitches. It reminds me of like, this is not a, a slight against James McAvoy because I think he's he's amazing as, as Charles Xavier. But you know how whenever he uses his his like telepathy – he puts his hand, his finger to his temple and it's like this very overt like thing where it's like how do you show a a power that has absolutely no flash yeah. to it like there's no sizzle at all but the, i think that you do have that here i would i don't know if i'd normally say that cavill is like the most nuanced actor in the world but i do think that this is this is a, a moment that he nails yeah i think clark isn't you know like clark isn't a very nuanced guy right a lot of the time, and certainly not when he's just on some like pointless, you know, charity crone beat, right? Like the last thing he's expecting from this party is anything interesting. And mm-hmm. now this billionaire stranger Bruce Wayne has shown up, and the first thing he hears is some guy on his radio telling him what part of the house he needs to head to. Like just the the eyebrows perking up of like what uh, for for Clark. I I really enjoy that moment. That is like 
as we've said before, Cavill's time as Clark is is kind of, I guess, downplayed in how much we get. But yeah. this this moment of realizing that he is no longer walking among, you know, like sheep, I guess, in, yeah, in exactly. a certain well, sense, he was, right? He was expecting this to be a boring night. This This, like, scratches the same itch as the kind of the smaller moments of Christopher Reeve as Clark, you know? Yeah. Where it was like, you're in on the joke. This is one of the, the few times where we are watching this purely in on, on the joke that we know he's Superman and no one else does. Well, and that's, I think, a fascinating – because that's the, one of the questions is, does he know immediately that he's Batman? Hmm. Or or does he just think something weird is up? I think I don't think he, he, he connects those dots right <laughs> right off the bat. But it is something that is clearly on his mind throughout the movie, and so I've always been been curious. But it is cool to kind of see this this presented as like he's actually. I think Diana knows something is up too, obviously. Mm. Um, but I think Bruce, <laughs> the great, the world's greatest detective, is the one that has the least clue what's actually going on. <laughs> yeah, I believe that's that's where we'll leave it. He is, it, to your point, we leave him being blindly led by by Alfred through his earpiece. He is world's greatest detective. And Alfred is saying, go down the stairs. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to walk you through here. Well, and and then Mercy is literally just like lurking down the hallway from him. <laughs> just like, is he is he going where he's supposed to? Yeah, this is, yeah. This is the easiest ever. <laughs> yeah. That's where we'll leave it to find out what Bruce is actually up to. Minute 49. Strap in. This party is about to get a little bit more interesting. <laughs> Marginally. You know, you almost had me going there for a while. I was a bit groggy before, and then I started noticing things. Like you got a stockbroker over here, all dressed up, reading the Financial Times on a Sunday morning when the market's closed. Unlikely, but okay. I can go with that. I could even go with the stick-up man packing a cop-issue Beretta. But you want to know where you blew it? With her. My aunt was in the restaurant business all her life. There's no way in hell a career waitress comes to work in high heels. She'd have blisters the size of pancakes before lunch. And if she ain't real, then this whole thing ain't real. That's how I knew that this bozo over here wouldn't get a shot off even if we waited to St. Patrick's Day. Because there's nothing but blanks in these guns. Oh. And no offense, but their performances were terrible. 